Hey, everybody. I'm coming up on 400 episodes, which is a lot. Uh, and I hope you will come celebrate with me. I'm doing a special live program uh, at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater to celebrate 400 episodes. Let me tell you this. When I did 300, I did a live show. And to this day, I still feel guilty that it was like 16 white guys and two women and one person of color. And that's not great. Uh, and this was a couple years ago. So I'm trying to correct that with number 400 or at least apologize for it. But as it happens, I have the most amazing lineup of writers, including but not limited to Monica Breen, who's doing the Buffy remake, reboot. It's a remake. It's an extension of the brand. She put out a great uh, tweet about it, which you should go look for. Um, Alexandra Cunningham, who's doing the Dirty John TV show based on the hit podcast. Uh, Carly Rae, who worked on Westworld and uh, Mindhunter, which is a great show. And she also was doing one of these Game of Thrones spinoff uh, for HBO, which who knows if that is happening. Um, who else? Angela Kang, who's the showrunner for The Walking Dead. Jenny Hutchison, who has been on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and she's doing the Welcome to Night Vale series. If you listen to the uh, episode with Chernold Edwards and Christine Boylan, uh, both of them are going to be back because uh, that was such a great conversation. I wanted to talk more with them. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater on Sunday, the 26th of August. We're doing a double feature. We're doing my 400th episode at 6 p.m. And then at 8 p.m., uh, my friend Matt Gorley is doing a live I Was There Too, featuring some of the murder victims in Friday the 13th, uh, as well as Paul Rust, uh, who is a big Friday the 13th fan. So that is on the 26th of August, Dynasty Typewriter Theater. Go to DynastyTypewriter.com or follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker for details. Forever. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Writers Panel. It's unnumbered because if I numbered it, I would get to 400 too fast and it would be before the live show. And we can't do that. I can't time travel. Sorry. I am sorry. Um, today's episode is a recording from the Vertigo Comics relaunch panel from San Diego Comic-Con. If you were there, thank you for being there. I wish we had had time for questions because we all really wanted to answer them. Uh, but as it was, the panel was packed with people. And it was a lot of fun to do. And I hope we got you all excited for the upcoming Vertigo relaunch because um, we're all really excited about it. It's moderated by the group editor, Mark Doyle, who is hands down uh, one of the best editors I've ever worked with. This guy knows his stuff. He has a vision for this line. And you'll hear uh, as all the writers and creators talk about the books that are coming out from Vertigo, you'll, you'll hear the passion that we all have for it. And that sort of starts with Mark. Um, we got Brian Edward Hill, who is a terrific comics and television writer. Uh, he, his new book, American Carnage, is out, I believe, in December. Um, who else do we have? Eric Esquivel, whose Border Town is the first one out of the gate, and it's a great book, and I urge you to pick it up. Um, it's out in September. Uh, my, I finally met my artist. Her name is Mirka Indolfo. She is an Italian artist and we had a great time meeting and doing press and doing this panel together. As I think you will hear, um, Mirka started describing Hexwives as sexy, strange, dark, and weird. And that pretty much sums it up. So I hope you will pre-order the book. It's out on Halloween. Uh, we've got Zoe Quinn who has a book called Goddess Mode coming out, uh, by the end of the year. 
Um, Mark Russell, who has a crazy book called The Second Coming. Um, it's about a superhero, uh, a sort of Superman archetype who shares a two-bedroom apartment with Jesus Christ. We have a couple of the artists on the book. We have some of the Sandman writers and artists uh, preceding us talking about the new books. Uh, it's a really jam-packed panel, and it's a lot of fun. I hope, as I say, uh, you'll get as excited about this whole line as we are. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! What I want to start with, so we're going to kind of break things into, into different sections um, because we have a lot of people here today, so we'll bring people up as we talk about each thing. Uh, but the first thing I want to talk about is the Sandman universe. So I'd like to bring Domo, why don't you come on up here to the stage? <laughs> Domo is one of the artists on, uh, we have, so we have four brand, ne- brand new Sandman Universe books, and uh, Domo's working on House of Whispers. Nala Hopkinson, who's the writer, is also here, but she's on her way. So that means that uh, you and I are just going to chat for a little bit until, Thank you. <laughs> until she gets here. I'm here for it. All right. Um, so the Sandman Universe, if you haven't heard, this is the first issue. It comes out in August, 8-8-18. And this is the special that kicks off the entire universe. Um, it's a fantastic, big, oversized issue. And this whole story, this whole world, this whole universe was conceived by Neil Gaiman. And it all starts right here. Um, Domo, you, so you worked on this issue. Yes, sir. And it's, it's interesting because we have multiple artists working on it, but the idea was the artists from each individual series that spins out of this book would do their sections in the actual issue. So was that tricky for you to sort of be, because you, you're basically sort of working, you do a chunk sort of in the middle of the book. Was that a strange thing to sort of adapt to? Um, not at all. Uh, the thing is, it's like, you know, like you said, every um, instance of the series kind of breaks into its own kind of story. So I feel like uh, what Nalo's doing with her story, it definitely breaks us apart from what everyone else is doing. But at the same time, it's like, you know, with everything going congruent with each other, we're definitely having a lot of fun playing around with characters you might see in other books as right. well as our own, for sure. That's a, so that's actually a really good point. One of the interesting things about this book and all of the books in this line, this is a shared universe. So even if you've read Sandman before or even if you know some of these characters, you can read them all individually and they're fantastic, great books on their own, but it's also a shared universe. So you'll start to see if you're reading all of them, You'll start to see. So there's some pages from from Domo right there. Do you want to? Can you talk about this scene a little bit? These characters who we're meeting right here. Ah, yes. Yeah. So these are our some of our main characters from the story um, that we're working with. These are characters from what we call the Waking World. I know a lot of you guys are familiar with that. Yeah. Um, but these are characters that one of the main gods from the um, uh, the. Uh, with the, dreaming, with the uh, dreaming, yeah. looks looks kind of looks after. So we kind of follow these characters and get a sense of how uh, they interact with each other. There's um there's a, there's a couple sisters, and um, one of the the older sister is actually dating a girl. 
So her younger sister is kind of trying to cope with the fact that her older sister is gay, you know. So we're just kind of playing around with uh, their personalities and getting to know them. Yeah. I think one of the great things about House of Whispers, you'll see with these characters and the other books too, one of the great things about Sandman is that it wasn't just about the endless. It wasn't just about Sandman himself. It was about all of these fantastic human characters and getting to know them and getting to know their stories and how they're all related to the much larger picture. So you guys do that really well with Thank you very House much. of Whispers. Um, one of the things I wanted to bring up too, are there any, any aspiring writers or artists in the house here at all? Yeah, yeah, good. I'm seeing some hands here. So Domo and I were just talking. I actually met him a year ago in Boston. I was at a Boston convention, um, and I was doing portfolio reviews, and he came up, and I looked at his pages then. That was less than a year ago, less because year it was ago. August yeah. last year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and it was great, so I got to meet him then, and I, I remembered his work. And then when we started working on these books, um, Molly Mahan, who's the editor of House of Whispers, she came to me, and she said, hey, I think I found someone. I think he's really great, and brought me... Domo's samples, and I was like, I know this guy. Um, so it was perfect. It was one of those things like you never know. The reason I ask if there's any aspiring folks here is you never know like when who you're going to meet and when you're going to meet them, and and you know you don't know when it's going to come and, back around. And so. and I definitely like to expand on that as well. You know, like I, I've been doing I've been doing comics for about nine years now, and you know, uh, like like Mark said, uh, this was last year that I showed my portfolio to him in order to, you know, show him my portfolio and let him know that I existed, you know, as an artist and as a person. And I feel like it's it, it speaks to a certain drive where, you know, if comics is something you want to do, never give up. You know, yes. you always want to continue to work on your portfolio. You always want to, like, uh, for me personally, I, I tend to pull a lot of scripts from online and I'll just draw pages from whatever like my favorite thing is like if it, it if I'm into Moon Girl or if I'm into Batman, Robin, Superman or anything like that, I'll pull a script from online. I'll put together three or four pages and I'll go to conventions and show them to anybody that I can. And I've been doing that for years and years and you know, now my portfolio speaks for itself, you know? Yeah. So persevere I guess. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. One of the fascinating things about the Sandman universe, too, is that if, you've, if you're a fan of Sandman, if you've read it before, it's going to be incredibly rewarding for you because it, it, the story picks up after Sandman ended. This, this is the sort of sequel to Sandman. Um, but if you've never read it before, it's incredibly exciting, too, because you can jump into any of these books, and that's exactly what Sandman universe is. It's the sort of primer. It'll set up everything that you need to know. If you don't know anything about it, Check this book out because it sets everything up, everything up perfectly. Um, I want to, I want to. We're gonna keep going when it, when Nalo shows up. <laughs> we can, she can come up and uh, and we can talk a little bit more about uh, Sandman Universe stuff. Um, but the interesting thing about Sandman Universe is that this is just the beginning. Ah, there of, she is. Oh, perfect timing. Everybody, Yay! give a big round of applause. Nalo Hopkinson. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, so honestly, we just kind of got started, we were just talking about Sandman Universe and how it kicks it all off, and we talked a little bit about um, House of Whispers. One of the things I was saying is that I think what House of Whispers does really well 
is it, it really carries on that tradition that Sandman set up of the human characters and their stories are as interesting as any of the sort of godlike characters in there, too. Can you talk about how you kind of created the family and the family dynamic that we that you meet in House of Christmas? Well, I've got four uh, girls, young women. One of them's a girl here, a young woman, who are um, related. Three are sisters. One's dating. The fourth one is dating the eldest sister. Um, and I'm now working around creating their father. Um, and something strange happens to the eldest sister. She goes into uh, a coma when she wakes up. Um, she's got something that nobody really knows what it is, and it starts to spread. The dynamic amongst the four, part of my, my um, task is to um, differentiate them and give them uh, enough of their own storylines while not letting the thing get too attenuated. Um, and once I decided to set the story in New Orleans, primarily in the French Quarter, and you know, word of warning, it's my imagination of the French Quarter, even though I was there two weeks ago, um, that began to give me some of the flavor of the, the world they're living in. And that, just getting into beginning to write that, and that part's been really fun. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I was saying earlier too, it's, yes, it's a shared universe, and you'll see characters sort of weaving in and out, but I think, you know, your book really it does stand on its own. the 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 real world setting is is as equal and as interesting as anything that happens in the dreaming too. Yes, very much because it's it's, it's almost driving what's happening to to Elsie uh, as the 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 person the being that's running the new house, the House of Whispers. Right, and you meet her, and you meet everyone who's on her mm -hmm. on her house with her. Yes, when she you comes meet in her entourage. I had so much fun <laughs> writing those and then seeing what, what Domo made of my descriptions. Whew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun. You know, one of the things I want to talk about too is, so these books are, um, you know, these are ongoing titles. You know, we've planned the first, like, 12, first year or so, but the idea is we, we know where we're taking the story to a certain point, and then things, there are things that happen at sort of the end of the first story lines of all of it, that just propel it forward even more. So um, it's really, it's gonna be, it's a fascinating entrance into the world if you've never read Sandman stuff before. Um, but yeah, if you if you know it and you know it well, you're gonna find this all very, very rewarding too. Um, I want to, we are, we're gonna have time for a, like a few questions at the end. So I do sort of need to keep things moving. Um, so hold your questions if you have questions about Sandman Universe or the other books. Um, we have a lot of people here today, so actually, sorry, I didn't get to talk to you before you came, but we, <laughs> I, I know the we, we need to sort of move in, in ways as we go through this, but you guys can just sit for a second, but the, the Sandman universe is the beginning of a Vertigo rebirth, okay? This is, this was designed to, to, you know, get people excited about this because we have a lot of fantastic Sandman stories to tell, but we also have a lot of other great stories to tell with a lot of brand new voices and brand new creators, and I'm really excited to share their stories with you guys today too. So we're gonna bring some more folks up. So you got we're gonna swap. Okay. So you got you guys can go into these front rows here and we're gonna bring up the, the first wave of people. I think Rob and Mark, you guys are gonna hang back. Yes? Sure. All right. <laughs> so what is the second the first group could be you guys are the first group. Second group you can come up now. Come on up. Nobody's moving. I guess nobody wants to come up here. Yes. 
Yes, yes. No, Rob, you sit. Brian, you're in. Mark, you're down. Merica, you're up. Robbie, Zoe, you guys are in. Yes. This is, we're going to work on this in practice next week. I know, right? I'm like the worst baseball manager ever. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> moving on from the Sandman universe. Um, like I said, so Sandman universe number one is, is the first book, and then after that we have The Dreaming. And then uh, the next book after that is, oh, okay, great. So we moved right over to Vertigo. Perfect. Okay. So, first of the new wave of, of Vertigo books is Border Town. And we have Eric Esbell and Ramon Villalobos here to talk about it today. Ramon, if, if you could, could you please show your shirt to the crowd? Yeah. Ramon has a nickname. He's also known as Mr. Vertigo, yeah. Vertigo Comics. <laughs> they gave this to me. Yeah. This was bestowed upon me. I didn't ask for this, but I'm shouldering this. That's what he said. I said, I said where'd you get that? Who gave that to you? He goes, you know. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. I don't have to tell him yeah. things that he knows. So it. you guys are incredibly lucky because you just got the first issue of Border Town. It's a fantastic book. We're really excited about it. Can you guys hold it up real quick, by the way? Just... Yeah, oh, can you hold up a picture. Yeah, yeah. Everybody hold up their copy yeah. of Border Town. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I'm seeing some people with not enough. Oh, there we go. I see yeah. some people without them. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I'm going to say all the Bordertown fans are in attendance. There you I go. saw one Dilbert back there. Bad <laughs> Poor form. Poor form. So, Eric Ramon, talk to me about this book. Any pressure being the first uh, new Vertigo book out of the <laughs> Not at all. Not yeah. at all. Not yeah. when you're Mr. Vertigo Comics, well, Mark. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I was at the panel when you guys announced that Vertigo was going to reboot. I remember like watching you. I was like in the front row. Oh, like, really? oh that's gonna be great. And then yeah, with the first book, it's it's, it's exciting. It's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Vertigo means a lot to me. I have a terrible tattoo of a, of a Vertigo comic. I have an invisible tattoo. Uh, Vertigo means a lot to me. So I did very know that, exciting. but I still hired you. Anyway. Yeah, I had to like hide it. I put a Spider-Man over it when I pitched, so it wasn't too <laughs> needy. But yeah, it's very exciting. So what can you tell us about the book without so, giving too much away? Yeah, Border Town uh, takes place in a fictional city in Arizona. I grew up in Tucson. This is a devil's fork. Is there a Tucson person? Yeah, there we go. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's a, it's a town that, that lives on the uh, border between the U.S. and Mexico, but also the border between our world and McMahon, which is the Aztec hell. So all of the mythology that my grandma scared me with when I was a kid <laughs> is in this book. Like, El Cucuy is in there, Los Duendes are in there, La Verona is in there, uh, the, oh, no, there's a Chupacabra. There's plenty of Chupacabras. <laughs> yeah, so... It's going to freak me out, dude. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it, Robbie. It's <laughs> triggering. I, I should warn you. <laughs> and it's a town that is very racially tense, uh, which is the reality of the town I grew up in. So a lot of the supernatural weirdness that happens in the town is blamed on the uh, undocumented Mexican population. So whenever there's, like, shared nightmares or crop circles or, or uh, like, any supernatural weirdness, they're like, oh, it's the illegals again. So uh, it gets to be that it's... Uh, it's, it's starting to be too late for them to respond because they're blaming all of these these problems on people who aren't actually causing it. So it's real fun. I like to think of it as like The Invisibles meets Dawson's Creek. I pitched it as two, a... <laughs> two great Warner Brothers yeah. properties yeah. together. <laughs> Finally. I pitched it as a what if Stranger Things were on Telemundo. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that worked pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I love what a team player you are, Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> I love Warner Brothers, so it's, I'm, there's mutual respect. Yes, Show them the hat. Clearly. I got a clearly. Speedy Gonzalez hat that says, I'm the Warner Brothers mouse. Yeah. This is vintage 1991. That's nice. loyalty. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what other mouse there is out there. What? <laughs> the only one. It's the only one. So I have a question for you. know, you're you're dealing with a lot of, you know, a lot of mythology and and a lot of obviously very charged stuff too. Um, What made you decide to focus on kids? Because that's one of the things that really appealed to me was that it's it's a really young cast and every single one of them has a fantastic backstory that you start to sort of dive into over time. What made you decide to focus on kids? Sure, sure. Well, I love this con, but one of my favorite shows is the Latino Comics Expo every year. Uh, it's a show that is just like Latino creators and, and then uh, Latino fans and fans of like our, our stuff. Uh, and every year I go and I bring stuff that I've worked on, like Gumby and Nickelodeon Magazine and Sonic the Hedgehog and whatnot. And it's fun, but the kids there always ask, like, when are you going to write us? Like, why are we never in anything? And uh, it got harder and harder every year to answer that question. And I've been pitching stories like this to companies forever. Uh, it's not that I wasn't trying, as like no company really like had the balls before Vertigo to pick this up. So I'm really grateful to you guys. <laughs> yeah, actually, I met Eric here like three, four years ago. Yeah, yeah. I met Eric here three, four years ago, and I was doing a signing, like a small thing, and he was like, "I think we should work together." And I think, like later on, I'm like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's never gonna happen. It's <laughs> like never gonna happen. But now we get to do this, and it's like all the things that we yeah. want to do. So. And it's not a political statement to say that like Mexicans exist. Right? That's not like a. <laughs> that's not like a political stance. It's not like a book that's about like the yeah anything. It's just I grew up in a town where my friends look like this, and, these, and not the guy in the middle, the green one. That one's fictional. <laughs> that's my brother, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Direct reference. But yeah, it's it's not a political statement to have people like us in a book. That's great. So you guys all take this home. You'll read it. You'll tell everyone you know. Go check out Border Town. Mm-hmm. It's really rad. Show your racist We're uncle. We'll love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, so the other book that uh, you guys are getting today is American Carnage. Oh, we're gonna, nope, we're going to talk about Hex Wives, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant to say. Hex Wives. Sure. Right before this, Lizette was like, you know the order, right? Like, you're going to be cool? And I was like, yeah, I got this. Don't worry about it. It's totally cool. So, anyway, nailing it. Um, Hex Wives. Yeah. Hi, Ben. Hi, America. Hey, hey. You guys want to talk about Hex Wives? Do we ever. Yes. Give me this. <laughs> this is a book about, give me this. <laughs> About the insidious ways in which men control women. <laughs> America's like no comment. Um, no, that is actually true. Uh, the the book, I th- I'm really excited about all of these Vertigo books. I've gotten to look at some of them, and the thing that I love about every single book is uh, they are about a thing, and they're also about a thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Probably not. Um, <laughs> I follow you, Ben. So, you know, Hex Wives is, I was watching an episode of Bewitched, and it occurred to me that this is an amazingly powerful woman who is living her life to serve this ad man. And, yeah, it's messed up. And it occurred to me, what if uh, Samantha Stevens didn't know that she was a witch when we meet her? And so uh, that's where sort of Hex Wives jumps off, and... The first arc is about her discovering that she is, in fact, this very powerful witch with a background as a, a murderous human. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of gore going on. <laughs> and, um, you know, the other, the other piece of it is 
you know, the thing that it's actually about. It, it really is about gender politics and, you know, the terrible things that men do very often without knowing it. Um, and so a lot of the book has been walking into a room and saying to my wife, like, what terrible thing did I do today? <laughs> um, and she's like, oh, I have a list. <laughs> Um, but it's, it's been very important to me to have um, a lot of female voices on this book. Obviously, you know, I can try to be as empathetic as I want to be as a writer, but that doesn't get to the real core honesty. So uh, uh, we, I was lucky that Mark hooked us up with uh, female editors, Molly and Maggie, who are unbelievable collaborators, and everything in this book is due to them and due to our colorist, Marissa, and due to Merka, who you can see this unbelievable art that she's turned in. Thank you. Merka, you, so we've worked Thank in the past, you. and you worked with uh, Molly Mahan, who's the editor of the book, uh, before. When she reached out to you about this book, what, what, was, what appealed to you about it? Was it... Was it being able to do the sort of supernatural stuff or being able to, oh, great, I get to draw, design their dresses. Like, what, what was the sort of... Like, <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Um, everything of this everything. in some way because uh, I really like uh, the, um, the idea of working on something so badass because those girls are very badass. Yes. Are very dark. Yes. And they are very strong. And also, yeah, I can play... Uh, I, I, I played a lot with their... Uh, uh, dress uh, yeah. uh, because they have a very unique style. Each character is different from the other. Not only with the style of dress, but also uh, they are um, um, different body shapes. For example, mm -hmm. different um, um, yeah, multicultural. Yeah. Um, and uh, for example, they are not uh, um, beauty in a classic way. Right. They are real person. Yes. Uh, they are uh, girls you can um, see uh, in streets, uh, yeah. at home. They are very, very normal, normal right. girls. And well, they enjoy it. And I think that was an important part of the story too, Ben, that you, you because one of the things that's interest, interesting about Hexwives, I think it's a, it's a great pitch and a great setup, but we recognized immediately that there's a ton of depth there too because all of these different witches who you meet have different backgrounds. There's a lot of legs in the story, too. Yeah, that, it was, was that intentional. Uh, it, it, it really came from conversations with you and with Molly uh, that I think you all suggested that this really is an ensemble piece. And yeah. that made me sort of dig deeper into who these characters are and where they come from. Um, and look, I'm, I'm, Buffy was influential to me as a writer. Uh, and to write, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> and to get to write an ensemble of strong characters, I feel like bouncing off of each other and, you know, having the soap opera as well as the uh, supernatural story as well as the huge thematic things that we're taking on is exciting to me. Um, I think the, the other thing that uh, both you as the editors and, and Mirka especially brought was to push me to go darker, to go weirder, to go grosser. Mirka yeah. um, likes to draw sexy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have, there's a scene in our second issue that is probably the most upsetting and least sexy and most awkward sex scene that has ever been in comics. And she was like, let's go, this is yeah. gonna be great. Yeah. <laughs> you did see, you went pretty fast through that scene. Yeah. You seemed to be, you, you jumped right into that one. Yeah, it was very strange to draw that page in particular in the second issue because uh, when I draw that, yeah. I feel um, it was sexy, strange, sad, 
and weird. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All together. Yes. Sexy, strange, sad, and weird are our watchwords especially, for this book. Yes. Especially yes. weird. Yeah. Weird and sad. You feel very bad for the character in that yes. moment. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but it's all but you had to go there though because it's yeah. all part of the sort of larger you know tapestry of the story that you're trying to tell. It is, and I think you you at Vertigo have a good idea of what Vertigo means, what it means to be a Vertigo book. And I think all the books have that, and and really you got you all push us to be that thing, and I think all the books are better for it. So thanks. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> well, that's you know, and that is the. The cool thing about all of these books is, look, obviously they're all individual stories in the standalone, but I do really feel like this is a strong slate of books that, like, if you like one of them, yeah. you're definitely going to want to check out the other books too, because they're different stories, they're different genres, but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of themes that you'll see running through all the books. And I'll, let me just, I'm just going to shill some more, but like having read uh, <laughs> Brian's and Eric's and uh, uh, Border Town. I'm so intimidated, and like having seen the art, uh, I'm, I look. Our book is amazing, but I'm afraid. <laughs> Good, keep you on your toes, right? Yeah. So please, I have a hundred issues I want to do, you guys. <laughs> please, it's a don't. big story. It's a big story. So speaking of the other books, I know that the next book that we're going to talk about is definitely. <laughs> American Carnage. <laughs> American Carnage, everyone. You nailed that, dude. <laughs> oh, good. Seamless. Seamless. I've done this before. Uh, Brian, so talk to me about American Carnage. Sure. So, American Carnage is a story of an excommunicated FBI agent who is biracial, who can pass for white, who was probably the FBI's best actor, their greatest undercover guy, but it chewed him up and it spit him out. And now he's trying to sort of figure his life out, not doing a very good job of it. But when a white FBI agent who was investigating a sort of rising political figure is lynched, hung from a tree in his backyard with an ugly sign put around his neck, the FBI goes to our hero and says, we want you to go undercover and find the people who did it, right? Find the bad guys. And what Richard expects to find is a straight line through all the crazy people right to the villain. But what he actually finds are factions, uh, he finds human beings where he expected to find monsters. Uh, I kind of describe it like, what if a guy went undercover into white supremacist Game of Thrones? Yeah. So winter is coming, and it hates me. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the, these pages that we're looking at here, um, it's, it's right from the opening scene of the issue. And again, you guys all got this, so you'll, you'll get to read it and experience it. Oh yeah, this is the feel-bad book of the winter. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, Leandro uh, Fernandez is doing the art, and it's it's fantastic. You know, it's uh, so this book came into existence after Dylan Roof killed those people in North Carolina, uh, because I don't like South Carolina. Sorry, uh, I don't like boogeymen. I don't like being scared of a thing. I don't like hiding from a thing. So when that happened, I reached out to white supremacist organizations. I went to message boards. At first, I had a dummy account. Uh, and I would do that, talk to them on message boards. Then I would talk to people on the phone, just tell them, like, look, I want to I wanna see what's going on here. I'm tired of being scared of you guys. I don't want to hate you guys without knowing what you guys are about. Tell me why you exist, right? Convince me why you should exist. Uh, and then the phone conversations went to in-person conversations, and I found things different than what I expected to find. You know, I found the factions and the ambitions. I found criminal enterprise 
weaving through these movements. And that's when I started to realize, oh, there's a, there's a crime story here. You know, there's, there's something more interesting than just me pontificating, you know, about racism or things going on in America. There's something more universally human uh, uh, in it. And so, you know, I'd done all this research, I'd taken all these notes, I didn't know what I was going to do with it, and then Mark and Andy and asked me if I had a, uh, a Vertigo book for the relaunch. And I was like, well, I have one, but it's going to hurt a little. <laughs> and I pitched them the book, and they, and they were, you know, brave enough to let me sort of tell the story the way I wanted to, uh, to tell it, you know. And it's not an, it's not an easy book. Uh, it's a book full of ugly things, and I don't make it easy for you to feel ways in the book. I don't tell you how to feel about it. I just present it to you with the honesty that, that, I, that I have based on the experience that I had in, in researching it. You know, I had a friend of mine, just real quick, Mark, uh, grew up with this kid, and uh, we were real close. Uh, our families were really close. He lived in the south side. I lived a little bit midtown. It's back in St. Louis, Missouri. And I'd left Missouri. Hey, St. Louis, <laughs> all right. Uh, and I left Missouri and went to NYU, you know, film school, the whole thing. And I came back, and I bumped into this kid randomly, and he was a skinhead. You know, head shaves, spider webs, bolts in the back, 88s, the whole thing. Right? And I loved this kid. You know, our families uh, were close. We drifted apart as you don't grow older, but, you know. Um, you know, and I, I contacted his mom and sat down with him um, where his friends couldn't see it and my friends couldn't see it. And, you know, the fact that this kid was lost to me when he was as close as a family member to me, you know, you never really forget those kinds of things. So, you know, all of that emotion is kind of wrapped up in this piece, but my goal was really to tell the most furious, unflinching, challenging and interesting crime fable I could tell. And, uh, you know, I think that the work is solid. I'm in, I'm in the middle of it, so I can't really judge it. No, it you is. And, I, and, you know, you, you came in with a really bold vision of what you wanted to do, and I think you guys are totally sticking to it. You and Leo, I mean, his stuff is incredible. Yeah, he's like doing fantastic yeah, work. I mean, his storytelling is amazing. And I think you'll see that one of the reasons we wanted to give these books to you guys today, too, is I think it shows the spectrum of what Vertigo can do, you know, from a sort of, like, young, supernatural thing to just straight-up dark crime book, too. And it's like, these are, these are all of the things that were sort of Well, everyone has a different Vertigo, right? And my Vertigo was 100 Bullets. Yeah. Preacher. Yeah. Scout. Yeah. Right? That was my vertigo, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let, let's hear it for the criminals in the room. Right on. Where are my criminals at? And, you know, I love, I love Sandman and I loved all that stuff, but, you know, those stories, I would read what Azarello was doing in those books, and I would just wonder, like, how are these things out in stores where, like, people can just get them and read them? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. that's, that's really the energy that I wanted to keep. And similar to what Eric was saying, look, it's impossible to tell a story about crime without interfacing with politics, no matter what crime you're doing. Right? Because, it, it, you know, it, it all ties in to, to, together. But this isn't a political story as much as it is a story about how politics are used by people to further their own ends. So, you know, you might dislike me when you read it. You might wonder, I, I joke with these guys, like, I can write this book because I'm black and they know I don't believe it. You know, like, like hopefully you read this book and you're like, does he really believe it? Because I don't... Oh, okay, we feel good. We feel good about it again, right? Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's the project, man, and I'm really, really proud of uh, the work that's been done so far. And, uh, you know, if you like stuff like Michael Mann movies, if you, you know, like stuff like Garth Ennis works for Mender, Azarello, that kind of stuff, 
Uh, and, you know, you want to take a journey into a world that exists right here, right now. It happens in California, by the way. I'm not in the red states. Yeah. This is in the blue states, yeah. right? Uh, you know, it happens up in Simi Valley. So if you want, you know, kind of that experience, I think we have it for you, issue by issue. Thanks, Brian. So we are we are running a little short on time, but uh, we you guys uh, Zoe and Robbie are here to talk about their book, God's Road. And we have some concept art that we're going to show too. We can we can jump right into that art while you guys. So talk talk to us a little bit about Goddess Mode because I feel like it's it feels like a Vertigo book, but it feels nothing like a Vertigo book. Too. <laughs> That's totally probably different. because I'm weeb trash. And, <laughs> but um, basically, Goddess Mode kind of came about in my mind as I was writing my last book, which is nonfiction. Uh, and there was just so much stuff I couldn't say because there wasn't room. Um, you know, when you're talking about like you're sifting through nonfiction stuff to find the nuggets of truth and like trying to get that across, it's hard to explore what it's like to actually live through that quite as clearly. Um, so goddess mode is basically me screaming all the things I feel like I can't say after spending several years trying to work inside tech to get them to follow their own alleged terms of service and beyond that, like just trying to be on the front or ending up finding myself on the front lines of trying to fight for a better world that I didn't really opt into. And I think there's a direct parallel to the magical girl genre there where these girls are sort of, sort of chosen. Um, and I think there's like a lot of stuff that uh, is out of your control with that. And we don't really talk about the trauma and the struggles that you face as you're trying to fight for a better world while still being a messy human that has to live a life. So it's like, what if these girls were actually adults and had to manage fighting this giant, unknowable, unstoppable force while also having a day job and trying to struggle to get by? And looking at the parallels between social progress and technological progress and how, you know, it's kind of like trying to make techno-utopian smoke the whole pack. Where it's like, <laughs> you can innovate all you want, but at the end of the day, like, we've come so far technologically, but we still have garbage jobs. We're not really free to go out and, like, do the things that we want to. Capitalism is still going on. So I wanted to tell the story about power dynamics in a way that also has a subversive element of hope and truth to it, where uh, like a giant message of it is that we have to take care of each other and we're not going to be perfect as we try to fight for progress. And I'm tired of having these conversations one-on-one -on -one in whispers with other activists and other people that are feel overwhelmed and scared of not being a perfect representative or a model minority or any of these. I wanted a cast of hot messes because <laughs> I love hot messes. You are my people. <laughs> Criminals and the hot messes is yeah, the audience absolutely. here. That's what I'm getting. Robbie, what's it, what's it like to design a bunch of hot messes? Well, as another hot mess. That's <laughs> very much like looking in the mirror sometimes. Um, the best thing about I've always wanted to tackle this medical genre for years and years, and I've always had like a quasi-base, again, to take like, not just do magical girls and magical women for the longest time. Um, and doing something like, once I got the pitch for goddess mode, and it's like, this is everything I want to do, and half the work is done for me. This is fucking great. And <laughs> I jump into this. Uh, but like, overall, it's like, you know, it's kind of like, aesthetic while you can see the, the artwork is like pretty much trying to transition the typical tropes of what you would typically deal with, like a, a magical girl genre type of character, but also adding that very much cyberpunk feel to it, adding that glowiness up to like something a lot of technology based into it. Where it like, and also, you're going to see there's a lot of glowiness with the girls. That's going to be a very story, big storytelling element down the line of the book. So, if you enjoy that, it's going to be a major character uh, trope for these for these girls. You're planting uh, seeds for that now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 
It's nice to be shiny when you fight giant monsters. Right, yeah. exactly. There are also giant monsters. Oh, yeah, there's kaijus in this book, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so get ready for that. Um, we have a, a few more minutes. I want to ask two more people to come and join us. We have Mark Russell and Rob Sheridan here, so they can come up and talk about their new books. Yeah, wherever we can kind of squeeze in. While everyone's sitting down, I just want to say that I'm really humbled and grateful to be with everyone who's on this stage because they're all warriors, man. Like, everyone is fighting a war to tell stories that are really important to them and that will also create unique experiences for you. Uh, so it's, it's a real, real pleasure and a milestone for me to be sitting here with these people talking about these works. Well said. Thank you. All right, Rob, you're the next warrior up to talk about your book then. What, what is high level? That's a good question. <laughs> you got to read the book, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I've been kind of wrestling with how to describe my book um, because so much of it is about the mystery. And I, I'll go to what Ben said, which is all of these books seem to be about, it's about a thing, and then it's about a thing. Yeah. And my story kind of is structured around... Um, a very kind of archetypal, archetypal adventure story. You know, I grew up um, as an only child, so stories like um, Zelda, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, these stories that start with this like lone character who's distant and far away from all the conflicts of the world, and through fate or through chance, gets sucked into this grand adventure that takes them to the heart of the conflict of the world, whether they want to or not. Um, that's always resonated with me. And some of the designs that we're looking at here are of the main character, uh, Thirteen. What can what can you tell us about her? Um, so this is some concept art from um, our artist Barnaby Banda, who is doing absolutely incredible work so far. And it's like he's doing a lot of world building. We're right? yeah. So we built this like really elaborate world that's basically um, a few hundred years after the end of the American Empire, and these are societies that have developed out of the ashes of all of that. And it's kind of, it's very much a way of taking um, what's wrong with the world right now in 2018 and all of the ways that we're careening towards self-destruction and placing that many, many, many years into a fantastical world in the future in, in a way that um, basically creates a really exciting sci-fi adventure story that has a lot to say about where we are right now, which I think is what all the best science fiction does. So Barnaby's been incredible at taking all of my notes and stories and characters and bringing them to life in this really, really unique way. Um, Barnaby's really unique because he only does pencils. There's no inker on this. And um, Rom, our colorist, comes in and colors directly over his pencils. So it's got this incredible look to it that reminds me of Mobius, which is exactly the reference that was it. Colors over pencils. Yeah, he colors over pencils. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a great look. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, y'all. I'm, I'm just I'm a, I'm a fan. That's my shit right there. <laughs> this is the first time this has been shown anywhere. This, um, these are brand new concept arts. Yeah. And it's um, Barnaby. Wow. I wish Barnaby could be here. I've never met Barnaby. It's a cool way to work. He's in uh, Jakarta, and he, I, you know, I send him notes, and we go back and forth with Andy, the editor, and I send him scripts, and then. I get these like treats in my email every other couple of days. I'm like, oh my god, he nailed thirteen. That's our character, thirteen, right there. 
And uh, I just saw this like last week. So everything's coming together really spectacularly. I'm very excited about this. Very cool. Now, the, there's another panel after this, so we, we're going to have to wrap up soon so we can get some more folks in here. But Mark, you have the craziest book to talk about. <laughs> what can you tell us about Second Coming? Um, it's and about you only a, have uh, like 30 seconds. Go! Okay, my, my elevator <laughs> speech. Uh, it's about a superhero named Sun Man, not Superman. Do not confuse him with Superman. Definitely not Superman. De- yeah, the superhero is called Definitely Not Superman. <laughs> and he shares a two bedroom apartment with Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it's just about their different approaches to the world. I mean, I think that the sort of embedded ideology of superheroes is that. Uh, because they're a hammer, everyone else must be sort of a loose nail. Uh, so they solve most of the world's problems by throwing people through plate glass windows or you know, drop-kicking them uh, across the continent. Uh, whereas uh, Jesus Christ, like when, when he beats somebody up, Jesus Christ impulses to like heal them and like forgive them and send them on their way, which infuriates Sun Man. Um, but it's, it's about, you know, looking for better alternatives to the uh, endless cycle of bribery and violence that has governed the world in the last 10,000 years. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That's, That's it. all you're dealing with. It's not ambitious. So, guys, we had to move very quickly through a lot of material, but I hope that the takeaway for you guys, and again, thank you for coming out, but... I hope what you're learning here today is that we have some amazing storytellers with just these just huge visions, and they're, they're creating these new worlds, and this is what I think the beginning of a new Vertigo renaissance. So I'm so excited that you guys are here. Thank you for coming, panelists. This is the beginning of something really special. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.